0: And welcome to the third episode of the second series of I Like Boxing with Joe and Joel. I'm Joseph Caulfield, joined as always. I'm going to say your name properly this time, Joel. Joel Hillier.
1: I prefer Ilier. Illier, go for it, mate. Uh, <laughs> you uh, don't do deserve,
0: the, you know, the, the French elegance. How are you? I'm good, folks, Joe. How are you? I'm all right. Not, Not good? Bad. G- did you have a yeah. decent weekend? Yeah, it was good. Again, can't remember what I got up to. To be honest with you, nothing exciting happened. I'm sorry, mate. It's just the way my life is these days. But I'm happy. Good, well, that is the main thing. <laughs> Take our, our happiness victories where we can in life, mate. Yeah, I did all my exciting things in my 20s and early 30s, and now I'm in my late 30s, just, you know. So um, it's been an- another great week of boxing. It always is, really. Let's be honest, there's so much to talk about. We're going to dive straight in to the massive unification rematch between Jamel Charlo and Brian. <laughs> <laughs> English Brian Castano or really Argentinian Brian Castano did you notice the huge Castano
1: tattoo on his back I did yeah and yeah, I just yeah. watched that it's like 4.30am or whatever on a Sunday morning and I'm just watching it and all I've got in my head I'm watching the boxing but really I'm not even concentrating because I'm just thinking I wish that said Brian <laughs> <laughs> The life
0: of pride. <laughs> so, Joel, I'm going to let you gloat in the uh, fact that you got your prediction for this fight absolutely spot on. Oh, Joe, I'm the one to gloat, mate. Yeah, of course you're not. So go for it. But I did get it absolutely spot
1: on. Look, in football terms, this was a fight of two halves, wasn't it? And we had the first six rounds, to be honest, was just a complete firefight. It was brilliant to watch. I thought that either fighter could have won it at any point quite frankly. In fact, I thought that Castaño seemed to be more likely to me to just land a big knockout punch during those rounds. I had charlo edging around yeah as i've i've told you I think before but i definitely thought that Castagno was the one that if it was going to end during that period he was going to do it
0: i didn't watch it live like you Giles uh, I was absolutely shattered from a day with the kids so it it was one of those fights that i think was really benefited from
1: watching live because it did feel like it could just go off at any minute you had to watch that with not knowing
0: yeah. what was happening what was coming up it was just totally suspenseful yeah Having said that, when I did watch it the next day, it was funny actually because I, I was texting you as, uh, as I was watching it and I thought Costano pretty much dominated, not dominated the rounds. I had Costano up one or two rounds when he got knocked out. I thought he put... Again, a lot of pressure on Charlo. One thing I'll say is that I think Charlo definitely managed to deal with Castano's, you know, inside fighting tactics much better. He didn't really get drawn or caught too often. But I liked the pressure from Castano again, and I thought he caught Charlo with quite a few good shots. I thought the first fight was more or less a shutout, to be brutally honest. And the fact that this was obviously a bit closer going into the tenth round when. Charlo knocked him out, obviously suggests that Charlo did better. But I thought Costano was doing really well. I I did. Um, But it is what it is.
1: Well, I didn't see the first fight as a shutout, and I didn't see the second fight the same as you either. I I did think that the rounds were really close, but I definitely had Charlo edging it. I think I had it. Well, I don't think. I I gave Castano two rounds and had one round to draw, and then the other five rounds going into that ninth, I had a... uh, Well, not the other six going into the tenth, I had for Charlo.
0: What about round five, Joel? What a round... So that was the
1: strangest drawn round I've ever given on a scorecard because I've never given a round a draw with that much action, but I just couldn't split them because they both just hurt each other repeatedly throughout the round. It was one of those legendary rounds of boxing that's going to go down in the annals of, of boxing history.
0: Yeah, no, it was a great round. Fantastic, fantastic fight. What a fight. And we got to give credit to both fighters here because I think, like you said, their styles are sort of made for each other. Castano's a pressure fighter, Charlo fights off the back foot, more of a counter puncher, but he has the power. How many times after a decisive victory would we call for a rematch? I know. And um, we both want to see it again. I do, yeah. So, I mean, one of the reasons why I want to see it again is because for me it's now 1-1, really. They got the 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 first fight was a draw, but for, you know, really, I think for most people, Castano definitely won that fight. What about the finish, Joe? Yeah, it was strange really because Costano was doing well, and then I think it looked like Charlo caught him with, I think, maybe a couple of uppercuts. And then Castano had this really strange delayed reaction where mm. he just crumpled almost out of nowhere. But when you looked at the replay, he got caught twice, I think, or maybe even three times with a couple, you know, with some beautiful uppercuts. And I just think he, he was badly buzzed. Yeah, the first punch to cause the damage, he was actually, he, if you watch that closely, what happened
1: was in the couple of rounds preceding that, when Charlo had backed onto the ropes, because earlier on in the fight, Charlo off of the ropes was just throwing punches. Yeah. He was every time... Because Castano was obviously unloading every time Charlo was back up against the ropes. That was his whole game plan. Yeah. And how Charlo dealt with that was that he would throw with him pretty much every single time. Yeah. He was trying to make him second-guess himself, Cholo, uh, Castano second-guess himself. But what he started doing from the seventh round was that when he was backed off into the rope, he was actually just walking forward and he would just grab him. He was holding Castano. Yeah, He slowed the action down a little bit. Yeah. Now he tricked Castagno in that final round there because instead of when Castano he started walking forward off of the ropes and Castagno was expecting him to grab and he moved his arm out to grab, but instead of grabbing, he threw that first left hook and that's the one that caused the, the damage. The damage, yeah. And... I thought that was a super... Because he'd laid the groundwork for that for a couple of rounds before. It was really smart
0: boxing. Yeah. We we obviously think a, tr- a trilogy, we'd be happy to have a trilogy.
1: Look, sorry, Joe, before you go on to the trilogy talk, what ha- happens after this fight, where they go from here, I want to go talk about the finish a little bit more because that wasn't the finish for the, of the fight. He went down there, Cassiano, and when he got up... Oh, he looked out, out on his feet, didn't he? Charlo acted like a cold calculated killer (laughs) he went in there do you know the first punch he threw after he's hurt castaño badly he's going in for the kill it was a ramrod solid left jab yeah followed up by right hand left hook right hand and then left to the body yeah and that put castaño down he was out for the count there Now, how often do we see fighters when they are going for a finish? They just start windmilling in punches. We see it constantly. For you to have the composure in that moment to then move forward and throw a jab as part of a finishing combination, your first
0: punch of a finishing combination, that is top level stuff. Absolutely. Actually, just on that subject, I thought that the referee could have stopped the fight when Castano got up because he he pretty much, as soon as he got up, he, he was wobbling all over the place. Having said that, I also, I can sort of understand why in the sense that, you know, it's a big unification fight. He's on his feet, but I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been unhappy if the referee had just said there and then. I couldn't agree more, only I I don't agree with the second part of that because the fight should
1: have been stopped at that moment. Reason being, the referee asked... Castagno to walk towards him or put up his gloves and he didn't either. Yeah. And then the referee just called the action on. Well, if a fighter doesn't do that, yeah. then there's a yeah. reason you've got, what's the point of giving those instructions unless you're then going to follow through? The other thing I just want to point out as well from Castagno there is he showed such warrior spirit oh, because gosh. a oh, lot warrior. of fighters, let's face it, well, not a lot of fighters, but occasionally what happens there when the referees give this instruction, when they want out of a fight and they're really hurt, they'll give a little bit of a wobble. Now, Castagno knew that he was going to wobble if he, if he moved at all. So he just planted his feet because he didn't want to wobble. He didn't want the fight to go, to mm. be over. Yeah. You know, he was desperate to carry on. Yeah. And he did everything he could yeah. to keep the fight going. And so, you know, just big up you there, Castagno. That was O'Brien. That was some real warrior, <laughs> warrior instincts you showed there, man.
0: Where does
1: Charlo go from here, Joel? I just want to see a rematch. So what he's going to do is he's going to rule his division, which is what I personally like seeing from fighters. I'm not a ma- I'm, I'm not against people moving up in weight and going for you yeah. know glory like that, but at the same time, for me, I like the old fashioned. You win your belts and you rule your division, just like Marvin Hagler did, and fighters of that ilk. That's what I want to see him do. That's what he's going to do. But there's a very good reason he's going to do that, Joe. Right. Because his brother, his twin, yeah. Jamal Charlo, is up at middleweight. He's not moving into that division. This
0: guy's staying in a light yeah. middle. So if he stays in the division, what about potential matchups with? Obviously, you've got the, the potential rematch with Castano. but what about Seb- Sebastian Fandora, Tim Zhu? These are decent matchups as well. Both of those guys are undefeated. I mean, he's got. I mean, he's got plenty of options.
1: Absolutely, and even Liam Smith. Liam yeah. Smith stylistically would be a great fight. And Absolutely, we'd love to see it as Brits. Look, he could fight all of these guys. He's going to go in as a heavy favorite against all of them. But they're great fights. This is an exciting division. All of a sudden,
0: and Castano as well. I mean, other than the trilogy fight, I mean, he he could take on the same the same people. He could take on Fandora. He could take on Zoo. He could take on Smith. I mean, I think he's a great fighter. I'd love to see how he responds to this I mean he, there's no question he is a he is a true warrior and he belongs at that, at that agree level more.
1: Yeah. And I couldn't agree more and he's got just as many options as Charlo as you're saying that's what a rivalry like this does for you as a fighter and it's where fighters shouldn't be so afraid to lose exactly. him Castano's in no worse a position than he was before the first Charlo fight in fact his status is elevated I think he gets paid more now than he would have done before the fight, even after two losses. I, I actually. Oh, a loss in a jaw, sorry.
0: He's now in the bracket of one of my favourite fighters. I just loved how he performs. He really wears his heart on the sleeve. He goes for it. He's a come forward fighter and uh, he's, you know, he's got heart. He's a good old fashioned TV fighter. Yeah, definitely. What I loved about this fight as well,
1: this is about the aftermath, is the post-fight interviews and press conferences.
0: I didn't see those, so you'll have to fill me in here. Well, both of them were just full of respect for each other. Yes. I loved it.
1: My, my notes just, was just respect after interviews. Lovely.
0: Yeah, that's the way it should be. Now, let's uh, move on slightly. We didn't preview this man's fight, but Jaron Ennis, I mean, this is a superstar in the making, isn't he, Joel? He is going to be some fighter. So I've been a fan of this guy for years
1: now, it seems, and he still hasn't stepped it up. And this is the problem, is that he's so good that I have no doubt that PBC are holding him back a little bit because of the other guys at his way. They don't don't want him getting beat. So they're holding... I I think it's really fair to say they're just holding him back until... You know, a couple of these guys, Errol Spence.
0: Terence uh, Crawford, is Crawford isn't with them,
1: but, you know, he will be so- soon. It seems that Terence is, is probably moving over to the BBC. PBC. Okay. PBC are stacked at the welterweight division. Yeah. And it's exciting. They can make so many fights now, but I'd love to see him in with someone like Keith Thurman. Yes, yeah. Keith then Thurman. we'd really get a gauge of where he's at. And that's the, the classic passing of the torch. Yeah,
0: yeah. Now, let's move on to another fight. Which was one we did preview, which is Martin Bacole against Tony Yoka. Now we both of us had Yoka winning this, having having the edge slightly. I think I don't think we necessarily advocate a, a knockout, but we thought that it's particularly fighting at home in in Paris that he would edge the fight. I don't think either of us gave Bacole the respect that, in retrospect, we yeah. probably should have done. This was an easy fight for Bacoli. He absolutely battered Tony Oka. He was on a different level. What a performance. Uh, we take our hat off to you, Martin Bacoli. Why was this such an easy fight for him? Because a he's out. a
1: much better fighter, is the simple way of putting this. Tony Oka has lived on borrowed time since he was in the amateurs. Yeah. It sounds disrespectful to talk like this, but I think it's fair to say he lived a charm life as an amateur, as we spoke about last week, as a professional... He hadn't stepped up at all, and he hasn't worked on his game. No. I mean, it's incredible that a fighter who trains under Virgil Hunter would have such a limited skill set. Yeah. He doesn't have a punch other than a jab. And even then, Joe, is jabbing exactly Larry Holmes?
0: No. <laughs> I thought he looked terrible, and I think most people who watch that fight will agree as well. Like you say, he, has, he just had no variety in his punches, a jab, a right cross. That's it. And also, he do, he, for someone who's a very tall fighter, he really should be you know, boxing 101, fighting off the jab, controlling the range. And Bacoli was just landing at will. And he showed beautiful variety, Bacoli. He, he threw every punch in the book.
1: He was showing off in there. He was just having so much fun. It was was really lovely to see. And even the crowd, I thought, sort of started turning and started sort of cheering for Bacoli as the fight went on. They were cheering his showboating, which is ridiculous for a fight in Paris.
0: I know. Where does Bacoli go from here?
1: He goes where he wants to. He's going to get whatever fight he wants, I think, Bacoli after this. He's just beaten the Olympic champion from 2016. I can't really call what he does. I think... What would make sense would be for him to fight Michael Hunter. Yep, rematch. Rematch, yeah. Other than Well, in fact, I think that's the only place to go that makes sense to me. I think that that's a winnable fight for him that would truly complete his rehabilitation from the 2018 loss to Hunter. I think that was at York
0: Hall. I was just thinking, actually, in terms of uh, options. I had uh, Kubrat Pulev, Luis Ortiz down just because they're, they're, they're in an, around the same sort of ranking. But what about someone like Derek Chisora? I mean, Derek Chisora is probably going to want another fight soon. I think he's not a big enough name for Derek Chisora. Derek,
1: I think all of the other guys would face him because they would fancy their chances, think it's a winnable fight. I think he would go in as a huge favourite against Derek Chisora. And I think Derek Chisora is in the money game these yeah. days. And Bacoli's not a big enough name, yeah. I think, over here to justify that fight. That's fair enough. But it's a
0: decent shout. It'll be a good fight. Definitely. It'll be competitive as well. I would like that fight. And like you say, he's got options. But, uh, but one thing we have to touch on, I mean, it was absolutely disgusting. The scorecards were atrocious. Let, let's let be honest. They they were trying to rob Martin Bicoli and I tweeted this actually. I said that the judges were essentially there to rob martin Bacoli and the only way he would the only way he would be able to circumvent that was by battering tony yoker and that's what he did (laughs) i gave yoker
1: one round in the fight and that was the ninth when Bacoli just took the round off and there were two knockdowns as well for Bacoli. to be honest one of them was a bit of no it wasn't i was about to say it wasn't a knockdown This one confused me, and I actually wanted to talk to you about it. What did you think about that second knockdown? Because it was a weird one. But what happened was, for any of our listeners who hadn't seen the fight, the Bacoli landed a punch on Yoka. The punch buzzed Yoka. Yeah. And it made him wobble a little bit, but it didn't put him down. In the wobble, he then turned his ankle. Yeah. And then he went down. So does this go down as a... Did he go down from a punch, or did he go down from a twisted ankle? But he went down from a twisted ankle caused by a punch. I don't know what I would have done as a ref there. I, that was one of those rare instances. I don't know what the rules
0: are. I don't think the referee did anything wrong. I mean, he called. it I don't it as think, a it sore foot. I think it was wrong. I think it's just a really hard call. Yeah, but for our listeners as well who who maybe don't know, so unbelievably, one of the judges called it a draw. Yeah, which is absolutely disgusting. And two of the judges gave it. I think by two points. Yeah, it was. Let me just look at my. No, the other. I think one gave it by
1: four and one by two, maybe. One by four and by, by, one I by don't know. Two. I texted you at the time. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but my French isn't very good, so I wasn't sure if I got the <laughs> the, the numbers right, but I saw a says du. Oh, I've mixed, mixed Spanish and French there, haven't I?
0: Aren't you Joël Illier? And your French isn't particularly good. Yeah, <laughs> what, what a terrible Frenchman you are. <laughs> I've, alve- I've also got an Irish passport. And uh... <laughs> Anyway, thankfully, Martin Bacoli put it to bed and left. T- took it out of the judge's hands, despite their devious intentions. So, massive respect to Martin Bacoli.
1: We've discussed where Bacoli goes from here, but quickly, where does Yoko go from here, Joe? Because something happened in that fight which... I found worrying as a fan watching. Between the eighth and the ninth round, Virgil Hunter gave instructions to Tony Yoka and he said, forget the jab, get on his chest, yeah. and then something along the lines of, fight him. Yeah. He came out for the last two rounds and he only threw jabs. He didn't try and get on his chest. He fought off of the back foot. He didn't follow the instructions in any no. way, shape or form. I don't think he could by that point... But that's worrying. In a fight that you're down, you're at home. That he never tried to truly win that fight in the last couple of rounds. What do you think
0: of that? Bearing
1: that in mind, what do you think about Tony Yoka's future in the
0: sport? I, I we discussed this. I don't think he's got a fighting heart. And I again, I don't want to be dis, too disrespectful to him because anyone who steps, you know, in, in the ropes deserves a lot. Of, deserves a lot of credit. Deserves a lot of respect. But I just don't see it. I look at the inactivity. I look at his performance in those last two rounds and I just see someone whose heart maybe isn't in the game, to be brutally honest. What what about you? I think that he's a very one-dimensional
1: fighter and you can't be one-dimensional and have the sort of success that being an Olympic champion justifies. The problem that I think we've got here, after those instructions from Virgil Hunter, you can't teach
0: a cat to bark. Yeah. That's my opinion. What an analogy, Joel. (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) we probably should leave it there.
1: (laughs) I think we should.
0: Right, Joel, this was a fight that we didn't actually preview on the last episode, but I want to have a quick discussion about Josh Kelly. Because he was due to fight, and I'm going to pronounce this name very badly, Giorgio Vrenelzi. I think Le- it is. leave the pronunciations to me, mate. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's your fault. I'm going to leave that. <laughs> now he was due to take on uh, this fella, <laughs> 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 fella, <laughs> on the weekend, but the fight didn't take place, and it was all very confusing because it was essentially cancelled last minute. And Adam Booth has subsequently tweeted um, the following. To clarify, Josh Kelly did not come in overweight. More than two weeks prior, I agreed with the promoter the weight of 157 pounds for Josh. The opponent was told then about the weight. He continually refused to agree, yet still weighed in... Sorry,
1: that's fair enough.
0: Yet still weighed in, having known the entire time. So... Yeah, uh, over to you. Sorry, one second. You can't just say, well,
1: we let them, we had an agreed contracted weight. We then told the promoter as the A-side that we wanted to fight at a higher weight. And bear in mind that Josh Kelly was moving up from welter to light middle here yeah. in the first place. Yeah. We let them, we told them we wanted to move at high weight. They didn't ever agree to this. Yeah. Which is what Adam Boo's saying.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: And then they were annoyed when Josh Kelly didn't make the contracted weight. And somehow this has been sort of turned into the opponent is in the wrong here. Josh Kelly and our side have acted completely properly because two weeks before the fight, we said we didn't want to make the weight anyway. It's not your blimmin' choice. You've got a contract.
0: Totally spot on, Joel. This is the thing. So... He's coming for an awful lot of criticism on social media, and so is Adam Booth to be fair, because his tweet was <laughs> I mean his tweet when I read it out, just absolute nonsense. so I mean, it's not a good look for Josh Kelly, who incidentally was featured on Boxing News, I believe, on page two or three, the most recent edition, and it was very much him saying, "Look, you know, I'm on the comeback trail. I mean, this is going to be a huge blow." To him personally, but it's also something that I think raises concerns about you know the trajectory of his career, how he's how he's looking after himself. I don't know. I just I just think it's worrying signs for a fighter who's clearly very talented. There's always been rumours that
1: Josh is not entirely dedicated to to the sport, and I think going up in weight by half a stone and not being able to make the weight may feed into this this isn't good look on him
0: no let's we'll have to see what happens to Josh Kelly moving forward but obviously not good signs there now this is something you wanted to talk about Frank Warren has signed a new three year deal with BT and Joel give us your thoughts on that
1: it's an odd thing in terms of it's a three year deal before what we seem to understand is coming for bt which is a move over to discovery they seem to be selling up their catalog of rights all right over to discover the discovery channel i think it is this was the deal that was going to be with the and the have pulled out because it doesn't make financial sense for them apparently right so we've got a new three-year deal I don't know whether it's going to go on I don't know it's a bit of an odd one to be honest timing wise but it's great for boxing fans anyway yeah it, you know the BT deal for Queensbury promotions has been good it was a deal that started in 2017 only one pay per view has taken place outside of the Tyson Fury sort of bandwagon yeah uh, Tyson Fury show uh, and that was the Frampton versus Warrington pay per view which was a great, great fight so it's a deal that if you're a subscriber you know I think You can expect just, you know, know, fights on the sort of subscription service, which is what we all want. It's been fine, you know, good standard of British-level fights throughout. I've I've not got that much more to say on it other than... The deal's happened. Good stuff, Joel.
0: <laughs> Exciting news. <laughs> I
1: don't know, can you tell that we've just had a bit of a downer?
0: <laughs> <laughs> we've just watched Arsenal lose 2-0 to Newcastle, so we're not in the best of spirits, to be brutally honest with you. I was really up for that conversation before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now I'm not. Now I'm going to race through this segment. <laughs> <laughs> Olympic silver medalist Ben Whitaker has signed with Boxer and Anthony Joshua's 258 management team and he will be trained by the legendary Sugar Hill Steward. There is talk of him rematching Cuban Arlen Lopez, who he lost to in the final. And he said that he also wants to fight Dan Aziz within five fights. Very ambitious. What's your thoughts, Joel?
1: My thoughts immediately go back to Audley Harrison turning professional and stating that he wants to fight Danny Williams within five fights.
0: Oh, and look at how Audley's career turned out. Hopefully, yeah. uh, Ben not, turns I, out. Look,
1: I, I think. <laughs> I think uh, Ben Whittaker is a fantastic fighter. I'm really looking forward to his professional career. I think he's done the right thing again with signing for Boxer. Similar to my thoughts on mm-hmm. Lauren Price fighting uh, signing, should I say, with Boxer. Yeah. I think is a great move. Lots of eyes on the guy. He should be a household name within a couple of years. He's a super talented fighter, and I'm really looking forward to his career. And I want him to be moved quickly, as I'd quite like for any of these amateurs at the moment turning pro. Let's not hang about. Let's let's get him in good fights.
0: What's your thought on a fight with Dan Aziz? Let's let's say that they they continue as we imagine they will. As you know, Joe, Dan Aziz is one of
1: my favourite British fighters about at the moment. I certainly wouldn't, if I was in the Ben Whittaker business, I wouldn't advise that he fights Dan
0: Aziz anytime soon, but I'd love to see it. Would be a great fight, yeah, definitely. Do you know what's interesting as well? Um, I heard that Boxer offered twice the amount of money that Matchroom did, and Eddie Hearn was saying that they just could not match, come anywhere near to the offer that, that Boxer made. So he's obviously been offered, you know, he's been got good money. And why yeah, not? The, I mean, he's got good Olympic pedigree.
1: Yeah, this is what you need to do when you're a new player on the scene as boxer. Oh, it's exactly what Dzone did and Eddie Hearn did with every fighter in the world for a couple of years when he was trying to build the Deshon stable. He just offered them twice as much as everyone everyone else was. That's what you got to do. Yeah. Also, you know, we've heard from one side there. I doubt very much it was twice the money. I think. What Hearn, you know, is omitted there is the attraction for all of these fighters. It's not just the money, it's the eyes that's on Sky as opposed to the
0: Exactly, yeah. So it would be interesting to see how Ben's career progresses from here, but obviously he's got a lot of talent and it should be interesting to, to watch.
1: He's a nailed on world title fighter.
0: Yeah, we've got to touch on this piece of news. Really, it's just to highlight, as much as we love boxing, just how dangerous it is. Now, Hannah Rankin fought the weekend against uh, Alejandra Ayala. It was a vicious stoppage in the 10th round. Alejandra Ayala was out on her feet and she subsequently went to hospital after the bout and I believe she had surgery. Now, I'm not entirely sure what the surgery was, was i'm going to guess that it might have been brain surgery
1: yeah i imagine she had a bleed on the brain and um what they do these days or have been doing since the 90s and um you know the incidents with michael watson in particular is is the in order to alleviate the pressure on the brain they they essentially drill a hole in the skull just to let the pressure out yeah this is your standard treatment following a bleed on the brain and I assume that's what's what's happened here
0: fortunately it appears that she's now stable so we wish her all the best in her recovery and hope she makes a complete recovery obviously as much as we like boxing it is a, a brutal sport and that piece of news just highlights the the dangers involved yeah we we send all the love
1: and best wishes in the world to Alejandra
0: yep absolutely now here's an interesting story because we touched on the uh, Daniel Kinnahan stuff last week, <laughs> and this involves our—I oh, was going to say—he's our good mate, but he's not—he's our, not our mate. Callie—is it Callie Sourland Calla, Calla, Calla yeah. So Calla, or in fact, Channel Five are forced to release a statement saying that they have no ties whatsoever to Daniel Kinnahan. This was a little bit like the statement we released. <laughs> About oh, a month sorry, ago. <laughs> we really did get
1: in there first hilariously well we we could see what was coming in here yeah exactly it's so funny
0: now have you got the quote to hand joe because the quote I, is, just is brilliant
1: through here i'm trying to get it because i sent it to you the other day it was absolutely hilarious yeah
0: get the quote because oh, we, we have go. to read this quote out okay so
1: <laughs> here you go joe you do the reading on this sort of stuff so here you go mate
0: right here's the quote so
1: this has resurfaced. This is an interview with IFL that Calasaralan did a couple of years ago. And, you know, IFL is a platform where many within the industry went to voice their support for Daniel Kinahan. And, you know, just point out, I mean, IFL obviously distanced themselves and I'm sure have absolutely nothing to do with Daniel Kinnahan now. But they, of course, they had a long-running sponsorship deal with MTK. Yeah, and you know uh, Daniel Kinahan obviously funded M- MTK, you know, to start out with, and so it was essentially sponsoring IFL. And they had a lot of quotes like this that have now since been deleted off of the internet. You can't find them anywhere, but someone's dredged this one up. So, God,
0: so it goes like this. I go back a long way with Daniel I not only work in boxing with him but I'm very close with him outside of boxing a very old friend there is a lot of bullshit out there we are in a day and age of sensationalist crap and everyone loves a gangster story and certainly boxing hardcore boxing fans will be familiar with the social media stuff on uh, Callow about (laughs) his rumoured love of the drugs (laughs) I think we have to just put it out there because it's hilarious and I say and I <laughs> no, say ru- nothing <laughs> I say rumors because there's there's, you know, we're not, we're not, there's no evidence but check out some of the YouTube stuff on caller uh, because it's hilarious anyway um, the reason that came up was because obviously Channel 5 had a show this weekend, which was the what's the promotional outfit? Oh, Wasserman. Wasserman, yeah. So um, Wasserman are one of the biggest
1: sports agencies in the world, and Kala and Nisaland and the, the South Salem family run their boxing division. Yeah. And so Channel 5, in their statement, part of their statement was we have no contract with Kala Sauerland. our contract is with Wasserman oh right yeah but obviously the Sauerlands and Kalasauan runs the boxing division of Wasserman yeah so it's quite hilarious
0: <laughs> we, we <laughs> want no yeah we don't want to have any connection to this guy <laughs> yeah, even yeah. though we're connected to this guy no it's just brilliant yeah it's, it's
1: just the uh, it's just the fallout the continuing hilarious fallout from the Daniel Kinahan
0: saga anyway. yeah absolutely Now, the next bit that we're going to touch on. So, this is a obviously a massive piece of news. Ame Khan announced his retirement. He's a legend of British boxing. So, we want to pay homage to him and his career. So, Joel, kick it off. I mean, Amir, we we both lived through the Amir Khan years, and what a career and what I mean, what what a what a story he's had. It was wonderful. Khan turned
1: seventeen in two thousand and four when he won a silver medal at the Olympics in Athens. And this moved, I think I was 18 at the time. He was 17. And I've lived through this guy's whole career. He was a hero of mine growing up, essentially. And he came along at a time in Britain where we needed an Asian Muslim figurehead to represent both British Muslims and also... Boxing and more widely Britain. Yeah. I think he came along at the right time. The country took to him. And more than that, he was just a fantastically gifted boxer. Yeah. He, he blazed a trail through the competition at the Olympics as a child. You know, he couldn't even... Oh, what can't you do before you're 18? Drink. Drink, he couldn't even drink. Not that he was going to start drinking, being a Muslim, but anyway. <laughs> exactly. He couldn't even, if he wanted to and he denounced Islam, he couldn't drink. <laughs> <laughs> and, and But he was beating up men. He was beating up yep. big, tough Eastern Europeans in the Olympics. He beat the reigning World Amateur Champion on the way to the final. He only lost to Mario Kindland and it was a good competitive final. He became a household name. He was a loved figure. He then beat before turning professional. He actually beat Mario Kindlin in a
0: strange. I've not seen this since a professional amateur show by Frank Warren. Yeah, that was actually an amateur contest, but that I mean that was shown on ITV and watched yeah. by millions, which yeah, is amazing was. for someone to have their final amateur contest before they turn pro. Yeah, that's was remarkable.
1: Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant stuff. So Amir turned pro with Frank Warren, I believe in 2005, it was either end of 2004, I think it was 2005. There was a huge buzz around Carl at this stage of his career. He was kind of expected to be a bit of a legend of the sport straight away. Yeah. It wasn't all plain sailing, though, at the beginning of his career. I mean, he had real up-and-downers with fighters like Willie Limond yes. on, on his way to becoming a pay-per-view fighter. And he was knocked down in that fight, wasn't he? He was knocked down, had to get up. I mean, it just showed that basically it followed the same pattern that the rest of his career did. Exactly. That he went down, got up like a true warrior, and fought on, and won. Yeah. Which is what he did more often than not. You know, Amir Khan was a real warrior and he showed it very early on. He had to show it very early on. Now, then we got to this strange period of his career when Khan was this. Utter superstar of the sport, but he was coming up, and this was in the days where the amateur fighters didn't come up and start fighting the big names like Lomachenko did straight away. They started yeah. to move differently these days. But back then, you had to fight a succession of journeymen Yeah. But he was this superstar, and he was bigger than the headliners on these cards. Everyone was coming along to watch Amir Khan. Yeah. So that's to move him along quite quickly. And then he they started throwing him in as a pay-per-view level fighter in his first pay-per-view fight was against Bredis
0: Prescott yeah now Joe this one didn't go too well did it no I mean I, I remember watching it and being utterly so shocked and I mean it was just a just a, an absolutely vicious stoppage a brutal knockout it was a sort of
1: knockout that people struggle to come back from in yeah. their careers Amir did I mean he knocked out... of So, for people that don't know about this, he got knocked out in the first round in about a minute or 90 seconds against this huge punch in Bredis Prescott. And it was a horrific knockout. I mean, how that fight was allowed to go on by referee yeah. Terry Codnor is quite astonishing really yeah. I mean we talked about earlier on that maybe the referee should have stopped Castagno in that what was it 10th round uh, after the first knockdown I tell you what you go watch Amir Khan in this Bradis Prescott fight I mean the fact that the referee let this fight go on is one of the true sort of mysteries in boxing and he then took an even more vicious knockout after that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's negligence, really, because he was absolutely finished after the first knockdown. So well, Go further
1: than that. I'd say it's playing with someone's life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, I mean, it is.
1: After this, this was in 2008, September 2008. Amir came back in the December of 2008 and fought Osin Fagan, who was actually uh, a good fighter at the time. And he he was fighting decent fights. And he, he beat him in the second round. He came straight back and he did something that was a recurring theme in his career. Amir can take a loss better than most fighters i've ever seen in that he will take a beating and a quite a bad knockout and he just comes back like nothing's ever happened yeah like like it shows no mental scars yeah it's a it's a quite curious trait of amir's okay so then he went on to fight marco antonio barrera in march of 2009 in a massive event so this is two fights removed because remember all of this has got to be on pay-per-view so Frank Warren had to get sort of big fights. So he got a fading fighter in Barrera, who was you know way past his best by this point, put him in at the MEN in Manchester, a fight I went to and had a fantastic time at. And he stopped Barrera on cuts in the fifth round, I think it was. But it was a great performance. He went out there and he just showed his speed, his
0: power and his boxing acumen. You've got a very interesting tale to tell about the the events of that evening as well. Yeah, so basically...
1: We'll jump, jump a couple of fights ahead here to give a little bit of context. He he beat Andre Kotelnik in the fight after this in 2009, July 2009. He beats Andre Katelnik for a belt. Yeah. It was his first world title belt. And following that, his first defense was against Dimitri Salita. Yeah. This happened in Newcastle. And he won the fight by first round KO. And after the fight, Amir announced that he was moving to America to carry on his career. Yeah, And he cited the racist abuse that he got in Britain as the reason that he was moving to the US. Yeah. Now, at the time, there was a lot of talk in the press about how this is overblown and Amir needs to grow up and stop yeah. making excuses. Now, at this Marco Antonio Barrera fight at the MEN a couple of fights previous to this, I attended with my brother and, you know, as I said, we had a great time. But it was a nasty, vicious undercurrent of racism in yeah. the arena. Now, a lot of what I would describe as sort of white nationalist types had turned up to the fight in order to see Amir lose. Yeah, and it's curious because obviously he's fighting a foreigner, mm. you know. But there was a very—we've got to put ourselves back in this time. This wasn't long after the 7/7 attacks in in England. We had a lot of anti-Muslim sentiment and a lot of people didn't like him here yeah and he basically my experience at the fight was there were a lot of racists there there was obviously a lot of British Asians there supporting Amir, and there was a, a real nasty atmosphere. I had a, an incident, actually. I mean, I'm for our listeners, I'm a white guy, and I was, you know, in my early 20s at the time. And I remember a particular incident where I was in the concourse, and gone off to get a beer, and, you know, it was a crowded area. And I bumped into somebody and did that thing, you know, you bump into someone, you turn around and say, Oh, sorry, mate. And he turned around and said, Oh, sorry, mate, at the same time, and looked at me and he went, "Ah, oh, sorry, mate, I thought he was a packy. Yeah.
0: That is you know, outrageous. It,
1: this was actually what the atmosphere was—is is fights at the time. So I hundred percent believe Amir when he said that he was experiencing, you know, racist abuse at the time, and you know, who can blame him from going off and. He went off to America. He, he signed with Golden Boy Promotions. And at the time, Golden Boy Promotions was run by Oscar De La Hoya, as it still is today, but also Richard Schaefer, And this was the premier boxing outfit at the time. Yeah. These were the guys to sign with. You had uh, Top Rank, which run by Bob Arum, And then you had Golden Boy Promotions. And Golden Boy at the time were in the Floyd Mayweather business. They had tons of fighters. And... What was so exciting about Golden Boy is that they would throw their fighters in with anyone. They've put their fighters in deep, yeah, and it was a wonderful time for boxing. You know, you had they had guys like Victor Ortiz, who was their sort of you know new Golden Boy coming through. They'll you know, just go, oh, you know, needs a fight. Stick him in with Marcus Maidana. <laughs> You know what I mean? So sort of, let's let's see what he's made of. You know, yeah. this was what because Oscar De La Hoya was running this company in his image. This yeah. is what he did as a fighter, and he expected that yeah. of his fighters. Yeah, wonderful stuff. So he went over there and Amir started this run, which no, in my opinion, no British fighter has done before or since. You know, he just fought a succession of superstars and top level guys. You know, because. He was a draw, yeah. and he could do, and he was with a promoter where he could do it with, and he wanted to, because this is Amir Khan, yeah. and he's a proper boxer just wanted to prove a sporting point yeah. all the time, that he was willing and able to fight the top guys. So his first fight over there, Paulie Malignaggi, he won in the 11th round by KO, and it was a fantastic performance. All the speed, power sort of that that perfect blend at the time of amateur and professional style yeah that amir could do because he was a young man mm. it was wonderful and so he went in with paulie really that was his coming out performance then his next fight was one of the true legendary fights of a british fighter ever and that was against marcus madonna you must remember
0: this one joe what were your thoughts on the fight what a fight I mean, he put Maidana down in the first round, I believe, with a vicious body, body shot. Body shot, wasn't it? Yeah. And Maidana was in writhing around the floor in absolute agony. So Maidana, for those
1: listeners that haven't seen this fight, Maidana reacted how Oscar De La Hoya actually did against Bernard Hopkins when he was put down with that body shot. Was he punching
0: the ground as well? <laughs> that, exactly. He was. He was punching <laughs> the ground. Only Maidana got up. Yeah, Maidana got up. I think, if I, if I recall, Khan was in control of the fight, and then he got caught with an absolute peach of a shot in one of the later rounds. I think it was the ninth round, I think it might have been. And Khan was absolutely God. out on his feet. He did that chicken dance. He did the chicken legs, yep. Yeah. He somehow managed to survive not just that round, but the next round. He won the next round. Did he win the next round? He won round? the next round. I'm he sure he got brilliant. hurt again in and one he, of the later rounds. Oh, he was hurt repeatedly throughout the rest of the
1: fight, but he landed, I think it was a left hook that shook Maidana to the bones, to yeah. the soles of his feet, and it was ju- how he managed to come back from being as hurt as you'll ever see a fighter who manages to carry on a fight. Yeah, to then shake his opponent as either the tenth or eleventh round as he did, and he boxed rings around him. Yeah, you know, it's just a wonderful performance. You know, the sort of fight as I say that we just weren't used to seeing British fighters in at the time.
0: No, that that is my standout. Amir Khan moment that fight that fight really summed him up for me um, because I I have no idea how he made it to the final bell if I'm being brutally honest with you that just showed the grit the courage the warrior spirit that he had I
1: couldn't have put it better myself and then he went forward I mean he fought Paul McCloskey back in England at the MEN and he, he beat him in the mid rounds and then went for you know one of these sort of Hollywood fights that again it was so rare for the British fighters to have at the time he fought Zab Judah
0: Yes, yeah.
1: And he stopped him as well, didn't he? He stopped him. Zabjuda sort of went down thinking, you know, he, he was looking for a bit of a way out, wasn't he? He he made out it was a low blow, but it wasn't. He caught him on the belt line and the ref counted him out. And then he went on to the big old uh, notorious Hatman fight against Lamont Peterson.
0: That was a disputed decision loss, wasn't it? It was. Well...
1: This was a funny one because, again, this was Golden Boy throwing their golden child into just a nonsensical fight. They were fighting an avoided fighter in Lamont Peterson. And instead of just fighting him in, say, England or, say, L.A. or you know, somewhere, an almost neutral ground in America. <laughs> they went to Lamont Peterson's home state of Washington and fought in this bare pit of an arena. I mean, quite why they did that, I still don't know. It's, it's one of the sort of baffling things in boxing in terms of management. That's actually poor management. Fair enough, fine, Lamont Peterson, but there was no reason to go to his backyard. Yeah, He was the A side of the equation. Why would you do that? It makes absolutely no sense, but yeah. he did it. And that's just, again, Khan just goes, yeah, I've got my gloves. I have my trunk. I have my boots I'll fight yeah you know and he goes there it was a war I actually had Khan winning that fight there was some weird stuff with this guy in a hat distracting one of the judges and sort of pointing at his scorecard throughout the fight it was this really odd thing that happened
0: didn't Lamont Peterson fail a drugs test not shortly after that and if I recall Khan was awarded the WBA belt Back okay. again or something I can't along remember those
1: if, he was, if he was given the belt back, but what I can remember is this was a time when, up until this point, drug testing had been done by USADA yeah. in the US. Now, they have an offshoot of WADA, who is the sort of drug testing body for the US Olympics and all of this sort of thing. Are they an offshoot of Prada?
0: <laughs> sorry, <laughs> listeners, I couldn't help. So.
1: No, 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 no red at the bottom of them shoes, mate. Continue. Just, uh, <laughs> thanks for that, joke. So, Varda came along and they were run by Margaret Goodman, who up until this point you'd see as the ginger-haired referee. Right. Uh, not referee, sorry, doctor. Yeah. Uh, fights, you'd always in the ring at, at big fights. Uh, or a strawberry blonde, you might like to call it, Joe. <laughs> And so she was a very recognisable figure and she decided to dedicate her life to starting up a new proper drug testing agency that would actually catch drug cheats. Yeah. As, you know, USADA had not been very successful up until this point and fighters started getting busted for drugs. Yeah. And Lamont Peterson was one of the first ones because he had low levels of something in his system. I can't remember what, but what he'd done is he'd, he'd had these implants of slow release pellets put in his body yeah. and he said and, and by the way this wouldn't have showed up on the usada test but did on the vada testing vada is uh, voluntary anti-doping association and he came out with one of those excuses he said that he'd had a injury and the doctor had given him these steroid pellets in order to get over his injury he didn't have the same mexican beef that canelo no not those but i think it may have been the same pellets as Jarrell
0: miller maybe oh yes enzymes. yes yeah, mr yeah. miller There's quite a few of these dodgy drug teams around in boxing. I could
1: name quite a lot. I think it was (laughs) uh, similar stuff actually to Eric Morales who was found uh, again by Vardar quite soon. It was sort of during this period.
0: God, Um, they were all at it by the sounds of things. Yeah, they
1: really were because they started getting tested. They didn't realise what Vardar was, that Vardar would actually catch them. And so they'd been able to get away with all of this stuff under Usado, And all of a sudden, they all started popping at this yeah. time. So, And he then went straight from that fight, again, going, oh, well, I've just been beaten in a terribly tough fight. I'll go and fight Danny Garcia. This is probably the turning point in Amir's career, especially stateside, because he got a horrific beating in this fight. Yeah. And also, at the same time, showed his mettle and he got floored repeatedly and he kept getting up and I remember back at the time the referee had one of these cameras on his head do you remember this Joe I don't know right so you saw it was like from the ref's view and you could see Khan getting up just all over the place you know we got this on telly and and the referee head cam (laughs) was sort of filming his reactions and it was it was tough to watch I still remember now feeling a a little bit sickened by the whole thing to be honest and poor Amir just kept getting up, kept getting put down, and he got a real a real beat and lost in the fourth round and it was tough. I don't think it was really ever the same
0: after this. No. And he had some I mean he had a few more notable fights after that. He fought Mr Canelo.
1: He built Canelo. On the way to fighting Canelo, though, he had a couple of really good wins against Louis Calafo, who had pushed Ricky Hatton very close. He beat Devin Alexander, who was a really good fighter.
0: Was was the Devin Alexander fight after Danny Garcia? I'm sure that was good. Yeah, it was. Oh, it, yeah. was oh, it was a couple okay. of
1: fights after Danny Garcia. So he was really rebuilding his reputation here. And, and then he, he fought a real tough fight against Chris Algieri. By this point, this was 2015, and he was expected, I think, to have an easier time of it, but it was a gruelling, tough fight. And then he did one of those things that, for me, cements Amir as a true legend of the game. He jumped up weight divisions, and he fought the beast, Sal Canelo Alvarez, which was just a gutsy move. And again, he did this in 2016, May of 2016, jumped up, fought the guy... Not many people would do that and it was he totally outboxed Alvarez for the first five rounds. Yeah. Before walking into a hellacious right hand in the sixth, which would have knocked out King Kong mate.
0: Yeah, no, it was it was a absolutely brutal knockout and then after that he's just on the sort of he
1: he was sort of cruising it really in his career he was still fighting in America he he knocked out Phil Le Greco and had another I think Samuel Vargas was it he fought after that Joe not entirely sure something like that before you know his fight against Terence Crawford which I don't want to go into because it was tough to tough to see and then we haven't talked about the one thing that was missing from Amir's career which was a true British rivalry now he'd had it in the pages of Boxing News and The Sun and the mirror and the telegraph and the guardian there was constant back and forth with kelbrook yeah the special one this had been going on the first time kel called out amir i think it may have been back in about 2006 or something oh, a long like time that. ago yeah that's how long this had been rumbling they didn't fight until 2022 now amir had constantly throughout his career said oh no Kel too easy a fight for me. Why would I fight <laughs> Kel Brook? It's an easy fight. I'm obviously going to win it. He's not on my level. Well, Kel is obviously another true great in the British game, and he was on his level, and he... Absolutely, put a beating on Amir. Unfortunately, yeah. but again, as we keep going back to Amir, just kept going back for more. Yeah, indeed. And, and he he acquitted himself well in that fight. I think a lot of people who didn't really like Amir by this point in his career were actually quite impressed by the guy. You know, yeah. and the way that he sort of took his 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 licks.
0: Indeed, he he actually came across really well in the post fight in interview, and when he was interviewed. And he said, look, you know, I don't think I've got anything left now, really, in the game. He was just brutally honest about it. But and- on that
1: subject, Joe, where you say he said that he didn't have anything left, one thing that we forget sometimes with assessing the damage that a fighter has taken throughout their career is the sparring and the gym wars. Mm. Now, when we went, what we didn't mention beforehand was that Amir, heard when he went to America, he went to train out of Freddie Roach's Wild Card gym. Yeah. Now the gym was legendary. I mean the gym was so hot at the time. They had James Tony fighting out there. They had Manny Pacquiao fighting out the wild card. This is a gym in LA.
0: Who's Manny Pacquiao? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
1: Uh, Pac Manager, just some little Filipino guy. You know, not not had much of an impact on the sport, eh? But what we know is is that they had gym wars and there was one of the Pacquiao fights that you had one of these HBO twenty four seven documentaries and they showed Amir in the gym. Yeah. And Amir was taking on just Amateurs, just not even amateurs, just people off of the street. Yeah. That would come in and train at the World card. Cause you had people off for of at the World card, you had people off of the street that just walk in that's coming in for fitness sessions. Yeah. Training alongside the professional world beating fighters. and wow. They had this guy getting in the ring with him. And I mean, it could have just. Boxed him, but he didn't. For some reason, he wants to prove himself, and he went in and he was just having a war with this bloke. Yeah, just you know, leading face first and you know getting tagged repeatedly. Yeah, you know, against this bloke just off of the street. I don't know, he's a barman or something. (laughs) And it shows (laughs) what Amir was doing throughout this period. He was going in and he was just having fun in the gym, but this stuff takes a toll on you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, And
1: again, this whole period, Amir fought an astonishing amount of top-level fighters. Yeah. You know, no, other people don't do it. I yeah. mean, other than your true superstars like Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather, no one fights the names that Amir Khan did. Yeah. And Saulo Al- Al- Canelo Alvarez, people like this. No one does it. Amir did. He didn't actually fight the biggest guys of his era, funnily enough, because he didn't fight until very recently Kelbrook. Which was his big domestic rival. He didn't fight Manny Pacquiao, who yep. was his gym mate. It yeah. was a difficult fight to make. Yeah. He, and he was a good friend of his, apparently. He didn't fight Floyd Mayweather. Now, Amir always fancied this fight. Yeah. Now, I think that the Mayweather fight between sort of 2010 and 2014, I think this was a live fight, mate. Yeah. I think yeah. Amir could have got the win on his best night. You know, I think it was was a possibility. I think it was all wrong for Floyd. And if we think about it, during this period, Floyd was fighting fighters like Victor Ortiz and Robert Guerrero. Well, Amir Khan would have been a far bigger fight than either of these. Yeah. Floyd didn't want to make the Khan fight. Yeah. You know, he could have done, he didn't. They're with the same promoters, essentially. And I think there's a lot to be said there.
0: Okay, interesting, yeah. Yeah. I think we... I've re- made the point, but uh, Amir Khan is, is a legend of British boxing and perhaps his career doesn't get the respect it deserves. I don't think there's any perhaps about it. There's no way his
1: career gets the respect it deserves. I mean, you think of the impact that he's had on British boxing. Mm. I think that he made the sport bigger in yes. this country. Before Anthony Joshua, Amir Khan was the household name in British boxing. Yeah. He still is. I think if you go to the man in the street and you just say, Name me a British boxer, they're going to say Anthony Joshua or Amir Khan.
0: Yeah, and he certainly inspired the uh, you know, next generation of a- Asian Muslim fighters to get involved in boxing. He's had a massive effect on you know, people within his community who want to get involved in boxing now. I mean, we're seeing it in the, you know, in the amateurs and in, in, in the pro ranks, well, fighting concerning pro.
1: Yeah, and I think he's somebody that has never forgotten where he comes from, in that he's still heavily involved in the British-Pakistani community. I mean, you constantly see him on social
0: media yeah. attending charity dues and schools and all of this sort of thing. So anyway, on behalf of I Like Boxing, we want to, we, we have, we've paid homage to Amir Khan, but... We really cannot understate the impact he's had on British boxing. So we hope you enjoy your retirement, Amir. You certainly deserve it. Right, so this weekend we've got two big fights that we're going to preview. No, Josh-
1: one, one big fight. What? And one fight.
0: Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave Joel to elaborate on that when he takes uh, takes the, his turn on the mic. So we've got Joshua Boazzi against Craig Richards, which is at the 0-2. Incidentally, I got a couple of tickets for that, but now can't attend. So I think this is a really good matchup, and it's going to be potentially a very close fight. Craig Richards is a very good box, boxer. And as you were saying, Joel, earlier, Joshua Boazzi is a... The classic punchers so this is the classic puncher versus boxer I I suspect that Boazzi has a bit has a bit more but I wouldn't be surprised if this turns out to be quite a cagey close affair could see Boazzi getting frustrated and it's whether Craig Richards can maybe capitalize on his moment so Joel what do you think
1: yeah I've, I haven't got much more to add than that to be honest mate um if There is going to be a domestic fighter that is going to cause Boazzi problems. It's going to be Craig Richards with his style. It is the perfect style to beat a puncher in the form of Boazzi. Yeah. But at the same time, Boazzi's style is the style that would be a boxer, economical stylist like Craig Richards. So it's a great fight.
0: Yeah. I mean, one thing that I think could potentially be a problem for Craig Richards is I I just don't know if he's going to win enough rounds if he's not particularly on the judges scorecards if he's not aggressive and I could just see Buatzi shading a lot of close rounds but merely by virtue of the fact that he is going to be on the front foot
1: yeah the problem with Richards is that sometimes he can be a little bit too economical with his economical style. Yeah, It could be slightly weird term as sort of lazy. He could have put his foot on it a little bit against Dimitri Bivol and made life very uncomfortable for the guy. And there were times in that fight he thought, just put it on him a bit. Yeah, And he didn't. It couldn't up the work rate. So you do wonder whether he's learned his lessons there and he'll be able to do it against Bratsy. I'd, I'd definitely favour Bratsy here, but it's a fantastic domestic level fight.
0: Indeed. Now the next fight, Joel's not particularly keen on this, probably doesn't have much to say, (laughs) but this is David Benavidez against David Lemieux. David Benavidez is the the overwhelming favourite for this, and there's a reason for that. David Lemieux is shot, and we can't see anything other than a one-sided beatdown. In fact, I, I... I'm not sure David Benavidez gains anything from this fight because unless he absolutely puts it on David Lemieux and and takes him out in convincing fashion, it does nothing for his reputation as a fighter. Joe, I don't want to waste my time on him, mate. This is a terrible, pointless fight. Yeah, sure is. So, uh, those are the previews. <laughs> one really, really good, great fight. A, a 50, well, not, maybe not a 50-50 match. I think it's a 55-45. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of those fights where it could go, really could go either way, but Benavidez Lemieux is, is certainly not in that category. I bet we do our show next week saying, Cool, oh, blimey, David <laughs> Lemieux knocked him out in the first round. Can you believe this? <laughs> I bet we don't. <laughs> but Anyway, no, we won't. So uh, Five anyway, for on that <laughs> <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> anyway, uh, that wraps it up for this week's show. We hope you've enjoyed it, and we shall see you again next week.